We have something like 1,300 communities in this country that have no local coverage anymore. And that's bad for democracy for lots of reasons, including if you don't have a local news source, you don't know what's going on in your community and it's very hard to engage. And also what's happened is that without local news, people are turning to basically competing ideological bubbles. And there's a lot of research shows that losing local news increases um, divisions and polarization. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Every week, somewhere in America, two more newspapers call it quits. Some 2,500 dailies and weeklies have closed since 2005. Just 6,500 remain. In the place where once there was vibrant local coverage, news deserts are spreading. The Community News Service at the University of Vermont thinks it has an answer to this growing blight. Student journalists. UVM's Community News Service, or CNS, partners with nearly half of Vermont's approximately 40 news outlets to provide them with reporting free of charge. Now the Vermont model is going national. Last month, UVM and the Knight Foundation announced a $400,000 grant to launch the Center for Community News at UVM. The idea is for student reporters and other citizen journalists around the country to fill the local news void. To talk about the challenges facing local news and possible solutions, we're joined by Richard Watts, coordinator of the Community News Service at UVM and director of the National Center for Community News. Lisa Scalotti is founder and editor of the Waterbury Roundabout, a new community news outlet that works with CNS. And Dom Minadeo is a senior at UVM and assistant editor of Winooski News, and a reporter for the Community News Service. I began by asking Richard Watts about the state of local news and how the $400,000 grant will be used to find solutions. We have something like 1,300 communities in this country that have no local coverage anymore. And that's bad for democracy for lots of reasons, including if you don't have a local news source, you don't know what's going on in your community and it's very hard to engage. And also what's happened is that without local news, people are turning to basically competing ideological bubbles. And there's a lot of research shows that losing local news increases um, divisions and polarization and undercuts all these important institutions that we believe in. So a few years ago with Lisa, who we're gonna, we're gonna talk to, we started something at UVM where students would get the real life experience of writing stories for local newspapers, trying to cover local news, get this amazing experience of learning about how you go about doing that and contribute to this gap in local news. And as we were doing that, we looked around the country to see who else was doing it. And there are lots of other places that are doing it, but there's no place where you can go find them and say, oh, I want to grow this, and how did they do that? Or I'm this kind of university, how did they do that? And colleges and universities have a role, need to step in and play a role. And so the grant that we want from the Knight Foundation is to try and take what we're doing here, find other examples, put it together in one place so that we can grow the number of colleges and universities that are contributing to this crisis. 
So essentially trying to fill the void in local news with this uh, as yet untapped army of student journalists. Talk about what community news service does. Um, you're essentially taking this Vermont model national. So what is the Vermont model? It's, it's coverage at the local, most local level. And Lisa in Waterbury is a shining example. And yes, she'll talk about how sustainable or not it is, but to really provide the daily, the, the coverage that people need to know to be informed citizens and participate in their local democracy. So what does that mean? It means covering the local uh, town officials. It's the school board, it's the school, it's the uh, library, it's all the local institutions, it's the events, it's the activities. How else would you know about these if nobody's covering them? And we, in Vermont, we rely a bit on, on front porch forum, but often if you have a select board official writing about what they're doing, it's not really journalism. You know, it strikes me the importance of this is underscored now more than ever when so much of the political division and political conflict has now trickled down to the very hyper-local level. And we hear that in particular, um, you know, followers of Donald Trump are targeting school boards, select boards, um, these low-level, often invisible uh, jobs that in the past we might be lucky to even have enough people to run for them now are being targeted as kind of the, the new jackpot for where politics can be done in a stealth manner. And without local news to kind of pull back the covers and make it less stealthy, people have no idea who the names on the ballot are. So let me turn to Lisa Scalotti, uh, founder and editor of the Waterbury Roundabout, which um, if people haven't heard of it, I'm sure you won't be insulted, Lisa, because you haven't been around for very long. Talk about what led to the birth of Waterbury Roundabout. That's for sure. Thanks for having me, David. Um, yeah, Waterbury Roundabout is still very new. Um, here we are in July 2022, and this is something that started um, and, and came online in May of 2020. So it was very early in the pandemic when our website launched. Um, and it was in direct response to the fact that just two weeks after the shutdown happened in March of 2020, our local weekly newspaper closed. Um, it was owned by a, a local um, company here that um, has six newspapers at the time. And when their advertising and everything kind of ground to a halt at the start of the pandemic, they had to make a decision fast and they decided to cut one of the six papers they're publishing. Um, and unfortunately, it was the Waterbury paper, which is where I live. Um, and at the time, I was working with Richard at UVM um, as the editor with the community news service students that semester. Um, and we were contributing stories to a handful of the papers owned by that company. Um, and so the students were doing assignments um, and supplying stories to the weeklies. Um, and we, at that, at that point, just said, could we turn our attention to Waterbury? And we started doing that. One of the students built the website. Um, we started populating it with stories. And by the beginning of May, we hit the button and the website was live. Um, but then the semester was over. 
Um, and so that was sort of the nature, that's sort of the nature of the, the whole project of working with students is that it changes every few months, there's a whole new cast of characters. So that's a lot of opportunities for a lot of people to come through. Um, but it also is, you know, sort of starting from scratch and starting new with, with people every few months. Um, so we um, started for that, that period of time. And then by the fall, um, we spread our word actually, as Richard said, Front Porch Forum was a good vehicle for us that we were able to get the word out that we existed. Um, and that was one way that we let the community know that this new project was out there. Um, and people started signing on, um, as you'll hear that we do a newsletter every week by email and people started signing on to subscribe to that. So little by little, we started to build a following online. And people were very appreciative. People were happy. It was a really important time for there to be local information with the pandemic and so many things were changing. Businesses were closed. Things were changing how they were doing businesses. What's open, what's closed. How do you go, how do you go into the grocery store? How do you, you know, how do you go out to dinner? How do you do takeout? How do you go to work? How do you go to school? All of these things were changing it seemed almost by the week. And so that's what we started, you know, putting that information out. And people were very appreciative. And I was constantly getting the question, this is great, but where's the paper? <laughs> um, you know, they, they liked the website, but people who were in a community that had an actual print newspaper missed it. Um, and so that was a real puzzler for me because I had no idea how to make that leap. And I would tell them if the paper was still a possibility, you'd still have it. So we're doing the best we can. Um, and a big part of what's happening right now, I think, is collaboration. And that's where in the fall of that year, um, the Daily Paper in Montpelier came to us and said, you know, we're looking to do these little free papers that we're going to mail around to communities in our region. And we see what you're doing with producing local news. And we'd like to put your stories in this paper. And so um, what was now called the Waterbury Reader was born. And it's this little free weekly eight page newspaper that's published by the Times Argus um, and mostly filled with the stories that, that I'm writing, that the freelancers that I hired that help me and the students with community news service are, are producing every week. So um, one of the jobs of a local paper is the very unglamorous but important work of covering local government, school boards, select boards, things like that. Um, that's probably a tough sell for a college student who might have other things to do than sit through a three-hour select board meeting in a town where they may not live. So talk about some of the challenges, um, you know, the, the real-life realities on the ground of relying on student journalists to cover a town like Waterbury. Well, that's very true. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of um, kind of background that you need to be able to even understand sometimes what's happening at local meetings, you know, to understand the characters and the pandemic has been a real challenge because a lot of the reporting hasn't even been in person. Um, it's been these meetings have been happening virtually. Um, in some cases, we have one like our next door neighbor town here, Duxbury, their town's uh, meetings are on Zoom, just audio. So you're just hearing voices and not seeing the faces of the people who are speaking. Um, so that's a real challenge. Um, the students, for me at least, um, just trying to work with them in their schedules during the regular semester where they have classes. Um, I've been trying to really try to tailor assignments to them that um, I want them to succeed, you know, more than anything. I want students to get on board. A lot of them are super new at this. They've had very little experience with reporting. Um, and I really want them to get on board and have success out of the gate so that it'll build their confidence and that it's, it's intimidating work to be a reporter, especially with all these new obstacles, right? 
Um, so I've let, I've leaned on them for for feature stories. I've leaned on them for business stories. I've leaned on them for stories like I had one student who was really into covering development news. So I was thrilled to have somebody who was willing to listen to DRB development review board meetings um, and write about some of the new development projects in town. Um, you know, they're going and they're covering community events. Um, they're helping fill in the gaps that I can't get to because I only have so much bandwidth. And the handful of freelancers are all people that have other jobs. And so they've been super helpful in being able, in, in us being able to have a nice variety of stories and to be able to have some breadth of coverage. And so it's not just select board and school board stories. Um, one of my favorite stories was done by one of the UVM students about snow rollers. It was this wild thing that happened this one weekend in the winter where the conditions were just right and the wind blew across fields and these chunks of snow like just rolled across fields and they they formed these like curly cue formations and she went out and she got pictures and she talked to meteorologists and and did this amazing feature and it got all this you know people readers loved it it got lots of reaction and and people were like yeah i've seen those and they have questions about it and you know i wouldn't have had time that week to do that story um, and so, you know, I really try to give them a variety of assignments. I also am very realistic in expectations and understanding what they can do and do well and not get bogged down. Um, and it's really, it's really been great. Um, like this week, I have a story in our paper and on our website about um, our, ice, our ice rink had been closed for three months uh, because of a utility violation um, and they were, in, they were wasting water and they're going to be fined. Um, and I gave that to one of the, the UVM students and she came back with a really good story and, and watched a meeting reco recording and talked to the officials. And, but she's somebody that, that's been working now with me for over a semester and that had a little bit of that background. So I feel like, you know, we had a little bit of time to kind of build to those kinds of stories, um, but let's, it's all good. Let's all turn good. to uh, one of those student journalists, Dom Nadeo is a senior at the University of Vermont is an assistant editor with the Community News Service, no, an assistant editor with Winooski News and a reporter for the Community News Service at UVM. Uh, Dom, what drew you to want to be a reporter at the same time that you're a full-time college student? Um, yeah, thank you, David. Um, well, so I transferred to UVM this past spring, um, starting January. And one of the things I wanted to do um, was hit the ground running and you know get involved at UVM. Um, and so the first thing I did was join the Vermont Cynic, which is our student newspaper. Um, and once I got involved with that, I was I am an English major and I got this email saying that there were spots open for this class that is is about you know storytelling, um, local journalism. And I thought, you know, because I'm doing the cynic, um, because I'm interested in writing, I want to get involved in this program as well. Um, it counted towards an English class, so that was an added benefit. Um, and I joined. We we met twice a week. I, um, you know, really learned learned a lot about journalism through that and through my work with the student newspaper. Um, and and they really, you know, the program really just just kind of tosses you almost in the deep end in a good way, where the first week. I had no experience and um, Corey Dawson, the, the former, he was the former CNS editor um, working underneath Richard. He kind of just said, all right, you know, your first story is due in a week. Um, you gotta, you know, find a story, 
Uh, he signed me right to, to the town of Charlotte. So that's where I started. Um, find a story, something that's newsworthy, write it up and, and we'll edit it. We'll go from there. Um, so that kind of just hands-on learning and experience was, was, um, really appealing to me and, uh, and really helpful. So you're now the assistant editor of the Winooski News, as I mentioned. Um, tell us about the Winooski News. Is this a creation of uh, the Community News Service? Yeah, so um, Winooski is actually uh, very unique in that sense because it's run through the University of Vermont, through the CNS program. Um, we talk about, you know, lack of journalism, lack of um, reporters in Vermont, and there's a need for, for news. And that need is, is huge in Winooski um, because they didn't have a paper before. Um, and so, you know, we, we now run that paper. There's five student interns um, working through that, through this, with the city. And we produce um, most, most of the content that, that the readers get. And so, um, having that for for a city like Winooski, which is you know, the the most diverse city in Vermont, um, there's a huge population of new Americans who, you know, a lot of people who just need to know what's going on in their in their city. And you know, one big example of that is the charter in 2020. I, I wrote about this um, a few weeks back, where the the charter change to to or Winooski changed its charter in 2020 that allowed all resident voting as opposed to um, just citizens being allowed to vote. So now these new Americans were given this right to vote. Um, and, you know, if we don't have news outlets for the city of Winooski, you know, we're not going, they're not going to hear about this. They're not going to be informed that they have now this kind of stake in their local politics. And so, um, you know, it's just important to have is there also an effort, Dom, to recruit uh, local residents of Winooski to contribute to the paper? Definitely. So what was recently done um, was this project um, organized by Corey Dawson uh, as well. So he worked with a few Winooski high school students to, um, to create these refugee stories that were really interesting. And there are these... Um, short kind of video documentary style pieces on on refugees telling their story of you know how they like how they how they got to Winooski and, and what they do so um, kind of highlighting that is, is really important for a city like Winooski and and bringing in you know high school students to get this experience um, and to kind of have a say in their city is very cool so I've seen some of the recent stories you've done you're profiling Senator Philip Baruth um uh representative tanya Vyhovsky. um tell me about a story that uh was particularly interesting to you and, and what you had to do to get the story yeah definitely um i'll actually go back to to what i mentioned i mentioned brief, briefly about the all resident voting so that was a really fun experience for me because um it was my first time kind of working with um state politicians and and calling up senators and and um you know uh the the mayor of winooski and the head of the republican party of vermont and so that talking to to leaders like that was really fun um and and really engaging for me and so that story covered um this uh 
this decision of the Republican Party to basically sue the city of Winooski for that charter change in 2020. Um, to allow non-citizen voting. To allow non-citizen voting, right. And so that was being heard at the um, at the appellate level, I believe, in Vermont. And um, basically, I wrote this story up about both sides and, you know, why the Republican Party was suing and, and they, you know, um, basically that, you know, that their, their side was, they want um, citizens only to be, to be allowed to vote. They said it was in the Vermont constitution. It's not legal for just for, it's not enough to just be a resident. And the other side of that was, well, it's really hard to become a citizen. It's really expensive. And um, so, so you get both sides. And that, that was the first time I've been in a, done a news story where it's that in depth um, and that kind of both sides have such a, such a high stake in what they're arguing for. And, and there's, I could see how passionate each side was and um, uh, writing about it was really engaging. And I worked with VT Digger during it and they were able to publish it um, uh, for their newspaper um, as well as we published it for Winooski. So um, that's, I was, I was pretty proud of that. And um, and I learned so, a lot from it. So, this is something new to you, journalism. What do you hope to do with it? Um, that's a good question. Um, I this fall I'm interning with VT Digger. Um, I'm hoping to you know continue to learn, continue to to um, improve my writing. Um, I'm taking a lot of writing classes at UVM, and that's really what I'm passionate about. I can see myself working in journalism after I graduate. Um, I can also see myself maybe down the line going to uh, law school. Um, but those are kind of the two paths I'm, I'm seeing myself in right now. Uh, Lisa Scalotti, you had, um, you've been publishing since 2020, as you mentioned, the Waterbury Roundabout. And just last week, you published an open letter to your readers, and it was from you and Steve Pappas, the editor of the Times Argus and also the editor of the Waterbury Reader. And it, the headline of the letter is, We're Invested, Are You? And you point out to readers that you're creating something of value for the community, but you write, quote, but it is not free. It takes people, professionals, to gather and vet information, write and edit, post online, lay out for print, publish and distribute. And you go on to ask people to invest in the publication to ensure that there is a local news source and to help guarantee that there won't be once again a news desert in Waterbury. What has the response been? Um, and I realize it's it came out relatively recently. You've been asking people to support this uh, essentially reader-supported news for some time. What is the the response from the community? Well, it, it was an interesting debate that we had as to whether to put that out there, right? Um, to put that message out there and to sort of lay that case out for, for readers. And we decided that people should know what, you know, goes into this calculation, right? Um, and we're, we're doing something unique with this collaboration where we've got the website here, but there's also this print product. And that, you know, that's definitely a cost on the Times Argus's part. And I really appreciate the commitment that they have to producing it but you know anybody in business knows that you can't 
you have to, you can't have something that doesn't pay for itself. It has to at some point break even, right? And, and let me ask you, Lisa, how many hours a week do you uh, put into the Waterbury Roundabout and Reader? A lot. I mean, it's a full-time job and a plus for me. Um, and it's, I do a lot of roles because I'm, I'm a reporter, I'm an editor, I'm an assignment editor. Um, I'm basically hitting two deadlines at, at least every week where we're, we've got the print deadline for the, the newspaper publication. And we put out a newsletter on email on Saturday, just like the Winooski News does uh, once a week. Um, we try to have as many news stories up online at that point. Um, I have a very small staff um, that consists of a part-time uh, web designer who was one of the UVM students that started this off. Um, Richard will remember Julia. Um, she helped create the website. She's still working with me remotely. She's in Maine now. Um, our local photographer, Gordon Miller, who shoots for the Stowe Papers, um, lives in Waterbury and contributes, as you know, many photos every week. Um, he get, he's very generous by giving us a few hours of his time to help illustrate our stories. Um, and then there's just a handful of others who are able to, to help out and the, and the students. So there's, there's a lot of coordinating, plus there's this, this piece, right, of, of um, communicating with readers and, and, and doing some fundraising. Um, our and budget are, is are really you, small. Are you compensated for this? I take a small stipend. It's not very much, and it's definitely not enough that would entice someone like Dominic after he graduates yeah. um, to come and join us. And that's that's sort of my my fear. You know, I love the idea that we're connecting with the young generation and we're getting people, you know, um, hands on experience, and they're enjoying that experience, and it's making them think about their careers and wanting to do this. And I think that's fantastic because that's what, what we need to you know continue to do this work. Um, but the business end is sort of the elephant in the room, right? And we had a journalism conference here back in March that Richard helped organize at UVM. And it was his first gathering after the pandemic of all a whole large group of newspaper editors and publishers and reporters from around the state that came to talk about what things were like for them. And I took a little comfort, but it was also a little frightening to hear everyone, no matter what the size of the outlet, everybody's basically struggling with the exact same issue, right? That how do we make the economics work in a new age where um, advertising and subscribers are so much more diluted than what they used to be? Um, there's so many more um, uh, outlets out there. There's so much more competition for those things. And so to keep news outlets, whether they're just online or whether they're online and in print, um, to keep them financially sustainable. And have readers responded in a meaningful way to provide some of the economic support for uh, the Waterbury Roundabout? Somewhat, yes. Um, one of the things we've been, we've been very lucky that we've had, you know, um, good responses from readers um, contributing either once. We're trying to encourage people to um, contribute on a regular basis, even if it's just a small amount, but that, that's sort of more um, approachable to people. And I think it, it will sort of be more sustainable over time. Um, we have over 1800 subscribers to our weekend newsletter. Um, and we have so far this year about 200 donors. Mm. Um, and, you know, some of them, many of them are just, you know, $5, $10, $20. Um, it's enough for me to be able to pay our photographer, to pay our web designer, to pay the freelance contributors, um, and to pay a few of our bills. Um, but it's not, I would more than anything love to be able to hire a UVM graduate out of school to be a staff reporter, because I certainly, there's no doubt that there's plenty of news 
um, to cover and I could easily keep a full-time reporter busy. And if I can say that here in Waterbury, it makes me think that these other places that Richard talks about that are news deserts, you know, other towns that don't have newspapers, I'm sure there are equally as many stories in all of these other places if there are people there to look for them. So Richard, let me, uh, let's close with you and just get your thoughts on uh, the future of local journalism. What do you think it looks like? Um, well, I think it's really important and it's a public good. So possibly there's some funding models that we need to keep exploring. There are ways to do it like Lisa is trying to do, uh, where you take donations and business sponsorship and reader contributions and some advertising revenue, but we just can't let it go. It's so important for democracy. And that's my, my particular little piece of this is how do we bring universities and colleges to this? And it's not just the students, it's the other resources that we have. We have vast alumni networks. We were able to raise $150,000 from one alumni to match this grant, you know? So universities and colleges need to play a role. And it's, again, it's students are one part of that, but it's all these other resources that we can bring to it. Like maybe somebody who could do business planning with Lisa. We tried to do that a little bit, but somebody who could really think through how you make the financial sustainability. Um, and then the last thing I wanna say, David, just related to this, I don't see us totally training students to be journalists and get jobs as reporters. That's definitely like one positive outcome, but just having students learn about local government and how do you go to a meeting and write a 600 word story? How do you interview somebody? Those are all life skills that they're hopefully gonna keep them engaged in, in many ways. And I, so the, the outcome here is students who are more engaged going forward and however it is and how they take these skills that they're learning to complement other things they might do. If Dom goes to law school, being able to interview somebody or write a succinct piece is gonna be really useful to him. So our particular part is colleges and universities have to do more. Local news is too important to let it disappear. Well, I want to thank all three of you, Richard Watts, Dominic Minadeo, and Lisa Scalotti for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thanks, David.